you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. I'm going to take you on a journey over the next two weeks. Okay, so on some level that means you need to come back, but no pressure, you know, I can fill you in later on that. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take us on a journey through the scriptures in which we, we learn together to receive the gift of Sabbath. And what we're gonna do then, we're gonna take into account how such a practice of Sabbath rest can actually tend to the holistic health and wellness of our souls. God has a vision in mind for Sabbath that he desires to root us in himself and keep us whole and healthy and aligned with him. So while I do that, I'm simultaneously going to do my best to invite you into my journey over the last eight years. And I'm going to emphasize the role of Sabbath that has, that journey has had. I'm going to emphasize the role of Sabbath that is played in the journey of my last eight years of life. And then I'm going to show you how it's going to impact whatever is to come. In that sense, I'm going to get scriptural. I'm going to try to get practical. And then I'm going to try to get personal. Okay, so I'm gonna take you on that ride. Let me first read the passage for today, though, and then I'll pray for us. I'm gonna read from Genesis 1.26 through Genesis 2.3. So this is the end of the creation story. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And everything passed, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here we are, hopeful, expectant, desiring to meet you in our midst. May it be true that we already have as we've sung together and prayed together and greeted one another, Lord, as we've learned stories of those who've gone before us as we celebrate or as we grieve even in this place. Would you just meet us now? Would you open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our lives to receive from you? Would you grant me the gift of giving me your words to speak? Would they be for you? Would they be from you? Would they draw us deeper into a loving communal relationship with you? We desire that above all else. We pray these things in your son's name. 
Amen. Okay, so there's two observations I wanted us to catch in this passage that I read. And each one of them is connected to our need to remember. A biblical theology of the Sabbath requires us to begin by remembering. It's why when God gives the Ten Commandments, right, to God's people who are coming out of slavery and years and years of working, 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 under the boot of oppression, he says this. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember, he says. But why is God saying this? What is this remembrance about? And here's where the two observations I want you to pay attention to from the creation narrative come to the fore. The jumping off point in all of this in any conversation about Sabbath, honestly, in any conversation about us and God is this. In God's view of humanity and the world he has created, what did he say about it? He looked over all of it and he said, it is very good. That's the magnum opus of God's creation account that all of us are made as God's communal, relational covenantal, loving people. That's the image in which he made us. And when he made us that way, what did he say? You are very good. That might actually be all you need to hear today, even as you wrestle through Sabbath. To rest is to receive the gift that you, to the core of who you are, seen by God, as very good. Receive that. Which sets us up, though, for the second observation I wanted us to catch. Again, this is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It goes like this. So the creations of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. What is the very first thing that God's very good human creations do along with God, no less? The very first day of their existence, what do they do? Rest. Do you catch that? The very first thing God's people do, humanity is created to first join God in resting. What an invitation. They rested on the day that God declared holy. Humans made and God's image began by resting before they ever embarked on the working. And that act was deemed holy. What a connection. The concept of Sabbath originated in the creation narrative. We don't hear the word Sabbath there, but it began there, the idea where God says to remember it by keeping it holy. The word Sabbath, which God used then in Exodus when he gave us the Ten Commandments, he does use the word Sabbath there and it means to cease from working because by then all of the people were only identified by how much work they accomplished. So he had to introduce the concept again. Remember, you can cease from your working. And it's this reminder and the invitation to rest then work. And when we do this, we are participating in that which is holy. 
In fact, the Sabbath day is the only thing that God declares holy in the creation narrative. So if we went all the way back to Genesis 1 and we read all the way through what I had already read, it's the only thing, the day of rest, that God declares holy. And so continuing with the creation story in view, right, like God's original plan, we remember the significance of the invitation he issued to humanity. They were invited to keep the seventh day holy. As my professor and friend A.J. Swoboda reminds us in a book he wrote called Subversive Sabbath, which I highly recommend, he says this. He says, do not misread the text. They were not to make the Sabbath holy. Humans cannot make anything holy. The day's holiness was assumed. It's already holy. So to remember the Sabbath and to participate in its holiness is to remember who we are, very good image bearers of the loving communion present in the triune God. Every time we remember that day, we get to also be reminded of who God said we are from the outset of the world. All of this rescues us from this idea that you may have been taught at some point along the way that Sabbath is just the same as doing nothing. It is so much more about being who God always intended us to be and who God always invites us to be. The very good image bearers of his very nature joining him in what was already deemed holy. So, to observe the Sabbath is to receive the gift of reorienting ourselves toward communion with God, the very thing he designed us for from the beginning. So from this vantage point then, we view the work that follows not as some regrettable necessity, but as an overflow of our rootedness in the rest-filled presence of God. So everything we do as work can flow from this place of being rooted in God. God worked himself, right? So therefore, like from that place, this practice of Sabbath, we join him in doing God's work in the world. You have the invitation to move out of your rest into God-activated work in the world. Our work is to flow from our rest. And it seems that this balance in our nonstop world has become completely undone. And we'd all be like, yeah, that's not hard for me to acknowledge that, right? No matter, no matter what you do, whether you have a full-time job or not a full-time job, like whatever the work is you do in your life, you're like, yeah, that balance has become undone. And so naturally, Sabbath sounds all perfect and redemptive, but we all must come back and reckon with real life and ask ourselves, each one of us, what constitutes work? Right, like how do we even define that? Because there are a bunch of directions to take this. And I'll just tell you this right now. It's a wild path to try to figure out how to define what work is. 
Even for the Jewish people, when this practice of Sabbath was introduced, and they're all like, okay, we want to be obedient and observe Sabbath. And so they would ask the rabbis and their community, well, then what can we do and what can't we do? Because that's what everybody asks. Well, then tell me what to do, right? And they, they would literally create documents and principles that were like, this is what worked, this is what isn't, right? So the, typically what was common for the Jewish people, there was a list of 39 things, which I'm not going to read to you, right? The, the, the point is, they were trying to define it for their people too. And it's one of the crazy things about the gift of Sabbath, actually, that scripture doesn't provide a distinction about how to observe Sabbath. There's not just like, here's all you need to know. And you hand somebody a paper and you like fill it out throughout the day and you're like, oh, that was great. What a great day that was. That's not how it works. It's easier to state it as a principle than it is to put it into practice. In fact, scriptural guidance is inadequate in the case of how to Sabbath. This is why the Pharisees kept getting all up in arms at Jesus when he was healing on the Sabbath. They had some definition that they were operating by, and he broke it. An intense example of prohibitions of work on the Sabbath comes from the mystical Jewish people known as the Essenes. And the Essenes had on their list of things you could not do on the Sabbath. You ready for this? Pooping. Yeah. Defecation is what it said in the book I was reading, but you know, I translated that for us. Really, right? Like, and I, there's a lot of directions we could go with that joke, but I'm just gonna leave it there that that was literally something they had in place. So I, I, I don't know, holding it doesn't seem restful. Just I'll put that out here. So it is then, right? Like, because that's where we end up if we start to make our own list of what is and what isn't acceptable, right? The next thing you know, we're not pooping on the Sabbath. So what do we do to receive the gift of Sabbath? There's this balance. We practice the spirit of Sabbath while establishing some structure of Sabbath without legalizing it for ourselves along the way. Here's what we do know, though. And this is the reminder now that we come back to. God instituted rest into creation from the very beginning. That's what he had in mind. And so in preparation to form our practice of Sabbath, I have one more caveat for us. Again, from Subversive Sabbath, A.J. writes, the climax of creation is not humanity as we have so arrogantly assumed. Rather, the day of rest is the climax. When creation comes together and lives at peace and harmony with one another. The ultimate picture of what we are to be as God's holistic creation to live at peace and harmony with one another and it happened for like one day. So in our practice towards this holistic health that Sabbath helps us embody, here's where we encounter a conundrum. We are people prone to believe that we are the climax of creation. And for many of us, that means we can assume that we are the sole spokespeople of God 
Therefore, then, we strive to work at a pace and carry a responsibility that lives up to that as if that were true. And you know what we get? Burnt out. That's all we get when we try to do that. And we're all like, yeah, I know. So how do we merge the spirit of the Sabbath with a structure of the Sabbath? Because I will contend that if we practice Sabbath, whatever that ends up looking like for you, we will be healthier people, not just healthier and feeling good, but people who are able to do the work that God so desires us to do in the world. That's why this matters. And so the Jewish tradition seeks to answer this question by introducing us to one, what they call the Sabbath bride, and two, what they call the Sabbath queen. So first, the Sabbath bride. The tradition holds that as those gathered for a wedding wait with excitement for the arrival of the bride, we are too to anticipate the arrival of the Sabbath, the Sabbath bride. The tradition suggests that just as a gathered family and friends are filled with joy and a spirit of celebration when the bride finally arrives, so too are we to orient our hearts toward joy and celebration in the presence of Sabbath. You get to enter into Sabbath with joy and celebration. So already you're learning that it's not a load to bear, it's a gift to receive. Finally, the tradition points to this points to the departure of the bride. When those gathered at the wedding feel an afterglow of delight and satisfaction from the time in her presence and a longing for the next time they will see her again. The afterglow, afterglow and the longing for the bride to come again are the feelings that the departure of the Sabbath should elicit in us. So we anticipate with great expectation and hopefulness and joy for the Sabbath to arrive. And then we bask in the joy and celebration of the Sabbath. And then we delight in the afterglow as it leaves us and we wait for to come again. Sabbath bride. Second, the Sabbath queen. The tradition also characterizes this way. The Sabbath queen is a way of conceptualizing the protocols of the day a way of attending to the rhythms and practices we choose to put in place for the day. The idea is that if the queen, whoever the queen might be, right, were to show up at your home, there would be a certain way in which you might prepare for her arrival. So the Sabbath queen relates to our outer behavioral expression of Sabbath, as in what do we do? This means giving careful attention to how we prepare for the day and what we do or don't do on this day. The Sabbath queen brings structure and order to the day and expects subservience from her subjects. She expects those in her presence to obey her decree that all work should cease. It's a structure around the day. So you see, the Sabbath doesn't just happen. You don't just stumble into this opportunity, this gift. The Sabbath bride and the Sabbath queen collaborate to achieve Sabbath rest. So what does this look like? Because right, you still might be thinking that. Like, well, okay, great, what does this look like? Because I'm going to name attention here in a moment, but let me just give you some of what my Sabbath practice looks like, okay? So typically, it includes Saturday, 
And so on a Saturday, what I will do is I'll turn off my phone and I'll use minimal to no technology, but I won't interact with my phone on that day. I pray, I read the scriptures and I go slow. I move at an intentionally slower pace. Try to engage in activities that bring me life, whether that's hiking with my wife, Kate, whether that's reading, whether that's playing basketball, whether that's a fun meal, the things that bring me life. I often light a candle on the Sabbath. Now there's multiple traditions about lighting candles on the Sabbath. I go really minimal for mine and I typically will just light one candle, which for me is just to remind myself of God's abiding and illuminating presence on that day. It's another act that it's like a building a habit, you know, and I have some good candles for this and some bad ones and then I can't find them for a little while. Anyway, I also try to leave my bed unmade. I'm not very good at that one, uh, but that's because my wife and I can't always Sabbath on the same day. Really, it's this act, this, this is the idea behind that, is that I don't wake up and immediately try to create order and, and manufacture the day. I let it be, like we just, you roll into the day. So that's a picture for me. And then I, I try to drive a minimal amount and I try to spend money as little as possible. Uh, as well. It depends on what we're doing or where we're going or how we're doing it. Um, but that, that's how that unfolds. So there's just a picture of just a, a general Sabbath day, which I think like when you get to that part, it's kind of like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, ho-hum. And it kind of is because over the life of practicing Sabbath, it really is that. It's not this thing that provides something so immediate that launches you into this stuff of the world. It's a rhythm, it's a practice, it's a way of being in the world. The Hebrew word that we translate as rest is this word menuha, which I can't say with a Hebrew accent, but that's the word. And as the famed Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel, who also wrote a book called Sabbath, which is also worth reading. I have three Sabbath books that I'll recommend at the end of all of this, by the way. Uh, he puts it like this when he's starting to talk about rest, but really he's talking about menuha, that word. He says it means much more than withdrawal from labor and exertion, more than freedom from toil, strain, or activity of any kind. Menuha is not a negative concept, but something real and intrinsically positive. To the biblical mind, menuha is the same as happiness and stillness, as peace and harmony. It is the state in which there is no strife and no fighting, no fear and no distrust. The essence of the good life is menuha. Sabbath is a gift, a rhythm of life set in place by our generous, loving, and gracious God. And it's a reminder to come back to what God intended from the beginning. Now, there's a couple caveats, and I'm gonna make one of those next week and one now, right? Because the Sabbath always has a communal element to it. I think we can hear about Sabbath, talk about Sabbath, envision Sabbath, or even practice Sabbath. And in the context of a culture we live in, we can individualize it a lot. And it becomes my Sabbath. But it's always an our Sabbath, and that's always how God intended it to be. Those of us who can choose to Sabbath one day a week have the responsibility to find ways to make this choice possible for others too. 
And here's where it gets really challenging because that requires us again to lean into the spirit and structure in a way where we ask God what that might look like. An example of how that unfolds is actually this church that we are sitting in right now, Grace Lutheran. They are, they are the masters at this. They're so incredible at this. So what they're doing, they're actually just on the news too, by the way, talking about this. So what they do Monday through Friday is they host a heat respite out in their courtyard here. They have misters and canopies and water and food. From eight to five every day through the summer, they hold a heat respite. They create a place for some people who might not have the opportunity to respite, to respite. If you also, they need volunteers all the time if you would wanna be a part of that. It's very, it's very simple. You'd kind of just hang out and meet needs uh, as it unfolds. So if you're interested in that, let me know. But it's a great example to me of actually then figuring out other ways to embody that. I think there's other questions that this idea of communal Sabbath poses. For instance, resting with kids and without kids in your midst is different right? Like there's different ways to, to work around that. There's ways in which we partner with one another so that you might get that respite. Literally, it probably requires some level of financial investment in one another's lives as well. I've, I've never seen that played out. I'm just telling you like aspirational ideas in that sense. But not all of us have the option to take a day every week to rest. So what does that mean for the rest of our community? So I invite us into thinking and dreaming and praying about that. It's also not about inducing guilt or serving as some litmus test of faithfulness. So like the moment that it becomes that is a moment we've lost sight of what it was intended to be from the beginning. First, a day that's already holy, and second, an invitation to lean into the image-bearing nature that God has put upon us. So here's how I want to say this to finish up. Awareness of this day as a covenant of God's commitment to us and our commitment to God brings a whole new dimension to the meaning of Sabbath. Yes, Sabbath is about rest and refreshment. Yes, Sabbath is about obedience and ceasing work. Yes, Sabbath is about community and joy. But in addition to these other meanings, Sabbath is designated by God as a sign of covenant. The very first thing humanity does is rest with him. No other commandment or law holds this place of honor. No geographical location or physical structure carries this designation. The role of an ongoing sign of the covenant is reserved for the Sabbath. Any way in which you are able to begin that practice is to align you again with God's commitment to you and your commitment to God. It's communal and rooting in nature. So, what does this mean for me? For many people, the answer to feeling tired is to what? Take a stimulant. Had a nice Americano on my way over here, and here I am, stimulated. For my wife, Kate, and I, the holistic goal is to practice Sabbath. Extending from the rhythms of rest we've intentionally implemented for the past 14 years of marriage, we now find ourselves at the end of an intensive season in which 
Kate has finished residency to become an emergency medicine doctor. So yeah, I mean, she's not gonna like that, but, but it's, it is an accomplishment and I did not induce the clapping that was given to you because it's an amazing accomplishment. The journey began eight years ago and she's diligently busted her butt all along the way. And while she's done that, I too have had some really interesting things that I've navigated, pastoral challenges and hurts, some unique transitions. Plus three years ago, partnering to plant Kaleo about six months after I began my doctorate work. And so it's been a wild ride the last eight years for us. So what we're gonna do is for the months of July and August, we're gonna take a mini sabbatical together, implementing the same spirit and structure embodied in the weekly practice of Sabbath that we've had as a part of our lives for the last 14 years. You could call it a respite in which we'll rest and play and listen and honestly seek space for God to restore our interior lives for the slate of adventures to come, whatever that might be, wherever that might take place. My sabbatical plan encompasses the, the Sabbath bride and the Sabbath queen, the spirit and structure. And I wanted to share a little bit of it with you uh, because I think, not because I want you to be like, look, he's got a plan, but because I actually think it inspires in us creativity to envision for ourselves what any type of rhythms of resting in God's presence might look in our lives. It might be you start with one hour, right? It might be like, oh, I actually think I've got all this vacation time saved up that I never use and I could implement something that is more than just, you know, going somewhere. It could mean something. So here's what I, I have it split up into five different movements. So for the first week, it's a eight weeks, right? So for the first week is just a, a season or a space of release and relinquish. Release and relinquish. Get rid of some of the responsibilities that, you know, like can still check in, can tie up loose ends and begin to relinquish that I'm defined by anything that I do. That will be the process there. Then the next two weeks will be what is a season of rest and recovery. Rest and recovery, which this time now is literally rest by engaging in what restores me emotionally, physically, spiritually, maritally. We just rest and recover. There's, there's no goals, minimal technology use, read some fiction, I don't know, you know, things like that. Then the two weeks that follow that is what I'm calling reflect and refocus. And so in this season of two weeks, there'll be some specific reading that I'll do, but there'll also be some specific questions that I'll be asking God. Lord, is there anything you wanna say to me? I'll think about the ways in which God has spoken to me in the past. I'll write those things down. I'll begin to gather and collect those thoughts, hear what I'm, or process what I'm hearing, even share that with some of the people that I've invited to pray for us as we've gone. Then the next two weeks, the final two-week stretch is called realignment. And this is really, how am I gonna move forward from this space? Like if we're gonna take this space to re-engage the presence of God, then how will it realign me in the next season of ministry? How will it realign us in our next season of being married and being done with residency together? What does that look like? What are the major words from God regarding our future? What, are, what is our calling? How do we define that? What are our hopes and desires in the next season? Like starting to ask those questions. And then the, the final week of the sabbatical is just re-engagement. 
begin to open the email uh, again, begin to, to check in with people, reconnect, uh, you know, specifically probably just one-on-one convos with Aaron and Chase and then the three of us zooming together or something, re-engaging in that place where we start to connect again relationally and then at the end of, of that, re-engaging here with, with all of us uh, at the very beginning of September. So that's what that season of rest will look like for us. Uh, and I think to name it again, that, that Sabbath as a day is communal, a sabbatical for one of your pastors to receive is also communal. Like it's a gift to receive it. It's actually a privilege even to receive it. And it requires something different from Chase and Aaron as they pastor, and it requires something different from all of us where my presence is gone and we're not defined by that as well. And I will miss you. I promise that. But it'll be a meaningful season in which we disengage and then come back realigned with the Spirit of God to see what this next season will bring. So I'm gonna talk more next week about how Jesus engaged the Sabbath and how Sabbath actually influences the way we engage in the restorative justice work that God asks of us as well. So stay tuned for that. At this point in time, what I'd like to do, I'd like to invite the band up, and I'm gonna gonna lead us into an opportunity for, for you all to just seek rest in the presence of God and begin to envision what the spirit and structure of rest in your life, of Sabbath in your life, might look like. So you just get in a posture of maybe, maybe attentive prayer even on some level, right? We, you can do it wherever your feet are, are flat on the ground and your, your arms are open and receptive. And just ask God this first question. God, do you want me to rest? As you become aware of God meeting you in this moment, receive just the first reminder that you to the core of your being are seen by God as very good. If you're having a hard time receiving that, just pray quietly in your, in your heart. God, would you just remind me of how you see me? And as God reminds you that you are made in his image, an image defined by covenant and love. Would you just envision what it would be like to engage in the holiness of Sabbath rest with God? Let pictures come to mind. Let words come to mind.
God, maybe we've never practiced Sabbath in our whole lives. Would this moment right now be a glimpse of the intimate communion you desire with us? And would you multiply the gift of this rest on this particular Sunday, on this particular day right now in our spirits? resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.